you take your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Philippians chapter number 2. Book of Philippians chapter number 2. I'll preach a two-part message. Preach the first part of it this week, and Lord willing, we'll be preaching the next part of it next Sunday morning. What we should strive to be in 2023. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 1. Apostle Paul writes here to the church at Philippi. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's the key verse there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Having the mind of Christ. In other words, that's what it's talking about. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Every believer should both desire and strive to be more like Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 8 verse number 29 tells us that we who are saved have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a continual process. We are being molded more and more into the image of Christ. The, The longer we're saved... We should be in a growth process. We should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ought to be more like Christ this year than you were last year at this time. And Colossians 3 verse number 1 through 4 tells us that we who are risen with Christ are to seek those things which are above and that we are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And it also says that our life is hid with Christ in God and goes on to tell us that Christ is our life. And of course we know Christ is our life. It's because of Him that we live, but that's not the extent of it. The extent of it is that we are to to live in that reality of Christ being our life. 1 John 3 verse 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If you have that hope in you this morning, I trust that you do, the hope of salvation, the hope of of looking for the Lord's return, then you ought to be continually purifying, purifying yourself, even as, as uh, you are pure in Christ Jesus. Now here in the book, 
written to the Philippian church. Paul was exhorting this church to see Jesus Christ as their example for living their lives and to become more like Jesus even in the midst of persecution. Um, I know persecution is not a popular subject, but it's going to be, I think, a recurring theme as we move forward to the return of Christ. I think we're going to see more of this in our own country. It's in a lot of places in the world. It's already in certain areas of our country that folks that want to stand for the Lord and do right are being persecuted by those who can't stand Jesus Christ. They don't have nothing to do with the Bible. They don't want to have nothing to do with your Christ. And so uh, they retaliate against, they think they're retaliating against you, but it's all about Jesus. I mean, don't take it personally. It's Jesus in you they got a problem with. And uh, we, we see that this is the case uh, with what Paul was telling the Philippian church by backing up to, to uh, uh, chapter number 1. I mean, that the word therefore in verse number one of our text there is, he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, well, that refers back to what he's just finished talking about. And notice uh, Philippians 1, verse number 27. He says, only let your conversation, talking about your manner of living, talking about more than just your speech, okay? Let your, your behavior is what he's speaking of here. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And, and that ought to be true in our lives. Our behavior ought to be such that folks know that we're associated with Christ. It just ought to be. And uh, it, it ought to be a becoming of the gospel of Christ. That whether, he will notice what he says, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, he says, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Notice verse 28. And in nothing, nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. In other words, uh, difficult days are going to come at times. And uh, persecution is going to come at times. And people are going to lash out at you because of your relationship to Christ at times. But it's a token that they are without Christ, that they need Him. And of you, it's a token that your salvation is shining through. Jesus in you is coming through in your life. That He says, but to you of salvation and that of God. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ Notice this. Not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Okay? We like that first part. We believe on Jesus. We're saved. But you know, it's, been, it's given to us also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which He saw in me and now here to be in me. And we, we know from the Apostle Paul's life that yes, he, uh, his life was full of persecution. I mean, he... he <laughs> He had a lot of things, a lot of folks that came against him. Now, I want us to see that these are some timeless truths that are not only intended for the church at Philippi, but I believe also for us as well, especially in these last days when we see a rise in those who were anti-Christ. Now, we're not talking about the Antichrist. 
Talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Talking about the, the folks who want to rail against Christ in us. In what ways are we to be like Jesus? Well, I want to deal with the first thing today as we look at the subject, what we should strive to be in 2023. And this first part, I want to see that we should be like Jesus in our attitude. Be like Jesus in our attitude. And we're just going to deal with the first two verses this morning here. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, we're going to take it one step at a time here. First of all, he says, If there be any consolation in Christ. Now, the word consolation here is related to the word that the Lord Jesus Christ used when he described the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. Uh, in John 14, verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another Comforter. That means a, another Comforter of the same kind. That word another is another of the same kind. In other words, it's going to be one just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit really is Christ in you. Amen. It's Christ living His life through you. And he will give you the Holy, Holy uh, the, another Comforter. He says, He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. Now, that word Comforter is one called alongside to aid or help or comfort. Okay? You, somebody called alongside to aid you, help you, or comfort you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. So the word consolation means the com comfort. It means aid or to help in the alleviation of misery or distress of mind. So what is the consolation in Christ? Well, I can think of a few things, and I'm sure you can as well. I'm not going to say that I'm going to exhaust the subject this morning because there's so much consolation in Christ. But let's just, let's just think about a few things. First of all, uh, Hebrews 2 verse number 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, listen, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Christ tasted death for those of us that belong to him. Amen. And those of us that, uh, if you're somebody here this morning that this morning doesn't know him, uh, he died for you. Uh, and he can give you this consolation. He, he takes the death for you, but you've got to receive him. You've got, you got to surrender your life to him. And, you know, the fact that, that uh, Jesus tasted death for every man, I would call that a consolation in Christ, wouldn't you? And that a great help? I mean, because we could not, we could not help ourselves to salvation. Uh, there was no way we were going to be saved any other way except through what Christ has provided. Also in Hebrews 2, verse number 14 to 15, says these words, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. We just looked, went, been through the season of Christmas and talked about the enfleshment of the Son of God. He came. He was God with us. He took part of flesh and blood. Why did he do that? As well, it tells us there that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and might, de might and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fact that Christ took care of, of Satan for us, isn't that a great consolation? 
It is. I mean, it, it, that, that's a, a great consolation in Christ as well and to, to deliver us from the fear of death. We don't have to fear death anymore. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no reason to fear death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. It's that easy. And thank God for it. But that's a consolation in Christ. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And that word succor, we don't use it in our day and time, but it means to come to the aid of, to help. That's a consolation, isn't it? It's a consolation that in the midst of, of what we suffer, in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of the trials that we face, we have one to, to help us who went through suffering. He, he, he knows about suffering because he went through it personally. Tonight we'll be in Romans chapter number 5, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great consolation? It is. Uh, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice and, and hope uh, of the glory of God. I'm not going to steal my thunder from the night, but all of those things are a great consolation in the heart and life of a believer. We're going to take a look uh, tonight. I think there's eight Eight uh, uh, things that we're going to be taking a look at. Eight benefits of justification by faith. We'll see how far we get tonight in that. I, I kind of have a, an idea we might have to split that one into two also. I knew up front coming in the pulpit that I was going to split this one in two. But all of those things are a consolation in Christ. Now look uh, uh, a few pages back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Okay, if you turn to the left there in your in your Bible, you get to the beginning of second Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter number one, and I want to read uh, some verses that that, uh, that speak here, and I hope you kept your place there uh, in Philippians because we're going to be right back there. Okay, but Second Corinthians one, look at verse number three. It says, "Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." The Father of mercies. I like that, don't you? And the God of all comfort. You need comfort this morning? Well, the God, go to the God of all comfort. <laughs> He's the only one that can help. Notice verse 4. This, this, this one who is the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. We go to God, get comfort, and God comforts us, and then we see somebody that's going through maybe some of the same things or, or, or going through maybe some trials of their own, and you, you uh, say, Look, listen, when I was going through my trial, I went to Jesus, and let me tell you what he did for me. I went to God, and God, God comforted my heart. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Here's the consolation we're talking about, the, the help, the aid. Look at uh, verse number 6. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is in, in effectual in the endearing uh, of the same uh, sufferings which we also suffer, and whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, Paul recognized that the consolation he received in the Lord uh, was for the very purpose of helping those in the churches that he ministered to. What a blessing. 
Look at verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Uh, Paul assured them, hey, uh, we suffer, but the Lord will bring us, give us that consolation that we need, and as those sufferings abound, the consolation also abounds with it. And so uh, there is consolation in Christ, and uh, in fact there is great consolation in Christ. Back to our passage in Philippians 1. Not only if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, but number two, if any comfort of love. Now I want you to think of the love of Christ for us. What kind of love is that? Unfortunately, our English word love at times has been both degraded and perverted, being used for things that are not love at all, but rather that could be described as nothing more than sensual lust. We know that to be true in our day and time. Uh, but things that people are calling love have uh, got nothing to do with the word, really, really have nothing to do. That may be called love, and it may be referred to as love by some, but it is nothing near what true love is. True love is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, the love of Christ is a love beyond any love. When you look at the epitome of love, just look in the face of Christ, because there it is. Romans 5, verse number 6 through 8, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that. For scarcely for a righteous man one will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It don't get any better than that. We didn't deserve his love. Not a one of us deserved the love that God showed us in Christ. The love of Christ is a love that both sought us and seeks our highest good without regard to himself. I mean, he cast aside uh, his, his heavenly uh, garments, came down here and uh, took on flesh and blood. That's what our passage is talking about here in Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 7 and 8. Uh, he, he took it on. He knew when he came he was going to suffer and die for sin, and he did. Uh, and, and he did that for us. That's love. Is there any comfort in this great love that Christ had for us? Of course there is. John 15, verse 12 and 13 said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus willingly laid His life down that we might have salvation. He didn't only lay it down, but thank God He took it back up again that we might have life eternal. Amen. So there is great comfort found in the love that Christ both had and has for us. So if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, here's the third thing. If any fellowship of the Spirit. Now the word fellowship there means partnership. Is there any fellowship or partnering of the Spirit in the lives of those who are saved? Most certainly aren't. I mean, we know, we know that, that that is the case. The, the moment we were saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in our bodies to be our partner and our helper. How so? 
Well, uh, let's, let's take a look at a few things. Number one, he partners with us in our assurance. He gives us assurance of our salvation. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Aren't you thankful for that Spirit inside? Amen. It gives you that witness. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about that assurance. We, we understand from reading God's Word in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have believed on the Lord, and we are encouraged because we believe on the Lord we have everlasting life based on God's Word. John 3, 18 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Isn't that comforting? Isn't there the consolation? But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 1 John 5, 1 John 5, verse 11 through 13 says these words, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. It's in Jesus. Amen. That's where we, that's where we have eternal life. It's in Him. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Don't have to wait to heaven to know that you're saved. Huh? You can know right now. Do you have Jesus? If you got Jesus, you're saved. Amen. You, you got Jesus, you got life. Uh, in Him is life. So He partners with us in our assurance. Second of all, He partners with us in our suffering and our prayer life. And both in our suffering and our prayer life. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not how, uh, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever go through something and just didn't know how to form the words to, to pray? You know? You may be going through a difficult time and you're saying, I just, I just don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Lord, help me. You know, you know what I need better than, I, better than I do. The Holy Spirit prays for us in words that cannot be uttered. He also thirdly partners with us in our learning. In our learning. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We've got the Spirit given to us that we might know the things of God that have been freely given to us. He partners with us in our learning. He partners with us in our witnessing and our suffering. Okay, Acts chapter 1, you say you brought, you brought suffering in there twice. Yep, I did. Because if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to suffer. You just are. Uh, he partners with us in our witnessing and in our suffering. If you don't believe it, uh, just take a look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8 says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And as you go through and you read the rest of the book uh, of Acts, what do you see? You see uh, them being empowered, and they are preaching the gospel. But you also see them going through great difficulty. 
but they had the joy of the Holy Ghost as they were going through the great difficulty because the Holy Spirit partners with us, not only empowering us, but encouraging us. The same Holy Spirit that empowered and encouraged the believers in the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit that indwells us and empowers us and encourages us. Amen? Those of us that are believers. A fifth thing, He partners with us in our maturity. In our maturity. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, the glory of the Lord, okay? We change, same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He partners with us in our maturity. So, so there is there any fellowship or partnering of the Spirit in the lives of those who of us who are saved? There most certainly is. Well, now we get down to a strange um, phrase here that we we may not understand in our day and time, but uh, let's let's look at it. So, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now that's not something we use, bowels and mercies. But it's talking about pity or sympathy, tenderness and compassion. Now what Paul's referring to here is that if the Philippians had any pity or sympathy or tenderness or compassion toward him as a man of God, they would be mindful of what he's telling them. They'd be mindful of what he's telling them. I'm not saying this because I'm a man of God, but because the Word of God bears it out. There should be great love and compassion for the man of God by the people of God for what he is going through as a man of God for them. Now, not to the point, listen, I don't want you to understand this. Y'all know 14 years that I've been here. I, I, I have not sought your worship of me. Okay, It's not worshiping me. Not to the point that I'm worshipped, mind you, but that at me as a man of God, it to be respected and followed as I follow Christ. That's what it's about. Okay. It's obvious from reading the book of Philippians that these folks had great love, though, and compassion for Paul. He's not questioning that. But he's just saying it. He's just getting them to understand. If you if you have if you've got pity or sympathy for me, tenderness and compassion for me as a man of God, uh, you'll do these things. L- look at uh, chapter number 4. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verse number, uh, look at verse number 10 first. <clears throat> this is what he say- says about them. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Okay? They, they were taking care of the man of God. Okay? They, they were, I have no doubt that they were praying for him and that they, uh, it also we see that they communicated with him financially. Look down at verse number 14. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Uh, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. For even at Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Again, they cared for Paul the man of God. He says, verse 17, not because I desire a gift 
But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all. <coughs> Excuse me. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Amen. Um, Turn, uh, turn back to the book of Galatians. Just uh, uh, you're there in Philippians. You'll go to go to, to Ephesians first, then hit Galatians, and we go to chapter number four. Galatians chapter number four. <clears throat> now, so notice what Paul told the Galatian church. Galatians four, verse number eleven. Galatians four, verse number eleven. Look at what he says here. He says, "I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain." Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of. For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given and, and have, have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He was trying to straighten them out on some doctrinal issues and he reminds them of the previous care that they had had for him and he said, you know, have I become your enemy because I'm, I'm telling you the truth from God's word? Unfortunately, sometimes when a man of God brings forth the truth uh, of the Word of God from the pulpit, or even personally, somebody asks a question, you share with them what the Word of God says, they get upset with you as a preacher. They get upset with and cut you off. And say, well, I'm, I don't have to listen to that. I'm not going to come back and listen to that anymore. Uh, even though you shared with them the truth of God's Word. Listen to what Hebrews 13 verse 7 and 17 say. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And number 17 of Hebrews 13 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, uh, uh, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, are there, this morning, are there any bowels and mercies for the man of God? Is there any pity and compassion for the burden he bears for you? Well, there should be, and I, from, for many of you, there, there is. And I thank God for that. Well, let's get back to our passage there. We see the next thing in verse number 2. Philippians, four, uh, Philippians 1, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, in verse number 2, back in our, our passage here. So if all those things are, are true, and, we, and we, we, we've said there is great consolation in Christ, there is comfort of love, there is fellowship of the Spirit, well, if there's bowels and mercies for the man of God, here's the thing. He says, fulfill ye my joy. This is what I want you to do. This is what he was encouraging the church to do here. Fulfill ye my joy that ye being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let's take it step by step here. Fulfill ye my joy. The only way the believers in Philippi 
could fulfill Paul's joy was for him to see four things in their lives that are found here in verse 2. That should spring forth from the reality of the four uh, things that found in verse number 1. You know, the, the, first, the first verse number 1 that we saw are reality, and they are, then this ought to spring forth. If the four things of verse 1 were true, and they were, then Paul is saying there were four specific things they should do in response. And if they did that they would make Paul's joy complete. And any pastor would love this. Amen. First, that you be like-minded. Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded. What mind is that like-minded is supposed to be? The mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For ye have the mind of Christ. How many minds does a normal body have? Uh, somebody, some of you are thinking, well, I have half a mind to, to answer that question. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about having half a mind, but we all have a mind, don't we? We have one. And Christ is the head of the body, isn't he? The church, according to Colossians 1.18. So we are to have his mind and be directed by his mind. Did you know that if we all, if each one of us that are part of this church if we all had the mind of Christ at all times, there would never, ever be anything but perfect unity. Yeah? If we have the mind of Christ continually controlling us, there could be nothing but perfect unity because the, the, the Spirit's not going to go against Himself. There could be no discord, no schism, no contention, or nor strife in the church. There would always be joyous harmony in promoting the work of the church. Now sadly, that's not always the case. Okay? Somebody gets their own mind about things rather than the mind of Christ, and that's where you get problems sometimes. Now thank God we're not, we're not in the midst of any problems. Don't, don't, don't take away from that and say, well, you know, somebody's causing the issues. Nope. I'm just wanting you to understand before any issues come, where are they going to come from? Okay? They're going to come from Somebody not having the mind of Christ. And we're to have the mind of Christ. So that you be like-minded. Second thing here. Having the same love. What love is that love supposed to be? The love of Christ. Yeah, that, that, that commandment that the Lord gave His disciples there in John 13, 34 and 35 when He said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. <laughs> that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. The world sees the love that we have one toward another as the brothers and sisters in Christ and they say, wow. That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. They don't understand that. Look at the last place I'll have you turn. Look at 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John 4, verse number 7. <clears throat> 1 John 4, verse number 7. There toward the end, uh, almost to the book of Revelation. Turn to G, the little book of Jude right before Revelation and you go 3, 2, 1 here in 1 John. Okay, um, So, uh, 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. He's speaking to believers here. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. 
for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here it is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another, having the same love. A third thing. I said there's four, so we've got two to go. Okay. Third thing. Being of one accord. Being of one accord. It's talking about being of, of one soul. Having your souls joined together is basically what it's speaking of. The particular word translated here does not occur elsewhere in the New Testament. You'll not find it. Uh, it means a union of a soul or an acting together as if but one soul actuated them. That gets back to that mind of Christ thing. Amen. When you're acting as one soul, you're acting together. Uh, how many souls do you have in your body? Well, if you're normal, you got one. Schizophrenia, schizophrenia is, is, is foreign and it's harmful to our body. Jesus had to cast out some spirits out of some people who had more than one spirit. You know, you find that in Scripture. But just as schizophrenia is foreign and harmful to our body, so also is schism within Christ's body. We're, we're to be acting as one soul. We have one heart. We have one mind. We have one love. Here's a, and then we see the last thing here, of one mind. Of being a one accord of one mind. The expression of one mind means thinking the same thing. The apostle here is actually using a great variety of expressions to denote the same thing. He's just building one thought on the other. It's all explaining the same thing though. The goal, which is union of heart, of feeling, of plan, of purpose. He wanted them to avoid all divisions and strife. Over and over again, we see the importance of harmony among believers. It's stressed in the New Testament Scriptures quite a bit. Today, we've entered into a new year as of midnight last night. We're in 2023. And I trust that you can see how that Christ is our example. He's our example for the attitude that we need to have throughout this year and the year after that and the year after that and so, so on until the Lord come back. Amen. Christ is our example for life. He is our life. <laughs> Amen. He is our life. So let me ask this morning in closing, whose mind do you have? Well, what Jesus wants is for us to have His mind. That begins with salvation. So if you're not saved, if you don't know Him personally, come to know Jesus this morning. But it also requires surrender on the part of us who do know Him. Amen. Surrender to Him today. Put your all on the altar. In fact, that's the song we're going to we're going to sing here in just a minute. It's a hymn of invitation. We'll pray and we'll have a hymn of invitation. And we ask you to respond to the Lord. If the Lord's moved upon your heart, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the Apostle Paul's heart. After you, after the churches he ministered to, uh, for believers, but also for souls of men. He he had the mind of Christ. 
And he wanted to see the mind of Christ in the churches that he ministered to, including the Philippian church. And Lord, he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because you want us to have the same mind that Paul was was asking for the Philippian church to have, for these believers to have. It's written for our benefit. It's written on our account because what's good for the Philippian church in that area is good for any church. Lord, let us who have ears to hear, hear what your Spirit has, has spoken to our hearts this morning through the Word of God. There's one that's lost, needs salvation, help them to come and receive you. And Lord, if there's uh, some area of one's life this morning that's here that uh, needs reconciling to you, some sin that needs to be put off, some habit that needs to be done away with, some uh, maybe some things that need to be taken on, maybe uh, a renewed love and appreciation for what you've done for them and a renewed service in the things of God. Ever how you've spoken to hearts this morning, Lord, help us to be uh, yielding to you. Lord, help us to lay our all on the altar, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.